Hey everybody, welcome to the Growing the Fishes podcast, episode 159. Um, this week we have, or this episode, we have Dr. Colin Bell from uh, Grow Serta and Mammoth P. How's it going? Hey, hey, Steve. Great. How are you, man? Doing really well. Um, it's been a long, hot week so far. <laughs> Where You're in Oklahoma this week. Yep, yep. New new home base. So we were in Colorado. We're in Colorado now, but we just got back from the NCIA show in San Jose. And it was a good show, and it was hot in California. In San Jose, definitely hot. <laughs> yeah, I can definitely get pretty toasty out there. Uh, For sure. How's it going, Mister Green Jeans? All right, uh, really good. Thanks, Steve. Hi, everybody. Glad to be here. <laughs> And we also got Roger. I don't know if he's there though. Yeah, I'm here. I'm just trying to get myself set up. I got a late start. So uh, got here just in time. He hello, everybody. Good to see you again, Colin. And uh, I guess we got two guests tonight. I missed the other, other introduction, but it'd be great to have a great show, I'm sure. Cool. Um, so uh, thanks a lot for joining us a lot, uh, Colin. Uh, why don't you tell us a little about some of the cool new things you've been up to? You're always up to. Okay. Oh, yeah, there's always something good here at Mammoth Microbes. And you know that we've been pushing along the microbes since our inception of Mammoth Microbes back in 2015. And we still have Mammoth P. It's going strong. I'll tell you one thing that's really interesting. It's all about team. And although we've uh, had this one product in the market that's basically sustained all our research efforts and everything as a company, it's still going super strong, which for me, goes to show that just the movement of using microbes in agriculture has never been stronger in cultivation and precision uh, cultivation for cannabis in particular, because that's what we target. And so, you know, having our most successful, you know, month and quarter to date is something huge for a product that's been in the market as long as ours has. And we have just recently, and it's been a long road, launched a second product in kind of a different category. And I want to make sure doesn't confuse uh, our, our, uh, our, you know, our fans and people that use Mammoth P, but we got into the actual bowel control space. And I identified that a couple of years ago, our team did. as something that's really interesting. There's a lot of pain points with using chemistry and agriculture. And although we probably won't get away from it completely for a long time across the board, uh, this is what this company does to help promote bringing nature and natural processes to agriculture. We talk about the performance side of our company with Mammoth P, and we'll come out with some new technologies as well over time, to help enhance plant health, development, and yield through maximizing plant nutrient uptake. Mammoth P targets phosphorus, and I think you know most of, the, most of the listeners on this show understand Mammoth P. What we started thinking about a little over a year ago was how we could actually get natural solutions in the biocontrol space. Because at the time, we really looked at it hard and realized there weren't a lot of effective natural or organic solutions to mitigate pests. Pests are a huge problem. They're never going away. All agriculture segments are plagued with pests. And mostly chemistry is used. And in cannabis in particular, chemistry is historically being used. And with the regulations of the final product and the testing that occurs now 
It's a, a lot of the chemistry that has historically been used is banned. And so we knew there was a need for some natural solutions. So we came out with this product. It's called Mammoth Biocontrol, or we call it Mammoth MBPI. And it's pretty simple, but it's very effective. And so I think that's a great combination, simple and effective. This particular, it's a simple essential oil to speak, but it has some very fascinating properties of why it works so well. And I'll tell you about it, but it's an essential oil, pretty concentrated, but you dilute it down, use it as a foliar, and it prevents and really uh, knocks off mites. Spider mites is what we've tested on. We're currently testing on russet mites to make sure we can get that validation on the russets, but for sure spiders. Thrips, uh, spider mites that is, but uh, thrips, it works very well. Aphids and white flies. So that's the data I have right now, and that's what's going on the label. On the label right now is spider mites and thrips, because that was the data we had early on. We've just gotten the validation on the other couple of, of pests. But it's really composed, and you'll see all the ingredients on the label. We don't hide anything of a corn oil carrier, which is straightforward. The oil or any oil products, any oil products have a suffocant property uh, when you think about the biocontrol. And so suffocant means kind of a clogging effect. The oil is pretty viscous even when it's dilute, and it will significantly disrupt the life cycle of these pests or insects by uh, reducing the hatchling rate success, which obviously disrupts the life cycle. And there's these things, little spinnacles in the back of or the thorax of these insects, and they're just little breathe tubes. They don't really breathe out of their mouths. They have these little breathe tubes that stick out of their body, and it clogs them up. And so there's a huge suffocation aspect of these types of technologies, and it's across the board, and it works. The other aspect that's actually super cool, I think, about this particular technology is the active preventative ingredient, and it's a, it's a time extract. And it's not a general time extract, it's a specific time extract. And what we've done, our scientific team has identified, and you can relate to this, I think, you know, there's chemistry in cannabis, different cannabinoids is an example, and they have different active ingredients that engage our bodies differently. They have different purposes. Well, the same thing for all uh, botanicals. There's certain fractions of the chemistry in an oil extract that do specific things. And our team, uh, as smart as they are, came up with, a, identified a couple of the fractions in a time that did a very good job at repelling these insects. So you want to knock down any kind of pests and you want to prevent them from reinfesting the plant. And that's the purpose of the time. And it works fantastically. So there's specific fractions and that's the, the mode of action or the real special aspect of this MBPI product. And we concentrate it, carry it in a corn oil. We have a little surfactant in there for spreading purposes. No big deal there, pretty straightforward. And because we've concentrated just, just the active ingredients of this time extract, once we dilute it down in the final application dilution, it persists and, and does a very good job at keeping the pests off that you knock down. And I'll tell you, just to finish on, I definitely want to hear your feedback on it. Um, you know, we validate the technology. That's the other point. That's the other part that we do very well. We have farms that we use for agronomic purposes. And we did five grows or studies back to back where we had seven 
eight different treatment groups, including a control, all the industry standards, including some chemistry. We used this technology and we had a control, 50 plants per treatment group, and we infested the entire greenhouse with spider mites as an example. And then we would do treatments across uh, recommended applications and basically count bugs and see how much are left. And what we'd find is on the MBPI treated plants, there would basically be no insects and a plant right next to it completely infested, checkerboarded through a randomized design throughout the entire greenhouse. And we could repeat that five times in a row. And after the fifth time, I'm like, man, this technology works. The data shows that it works. Interested in oils or not, this works. And it works because of the way we were thinking about the time, which is super cool. So it's- How does one go about acquiring spider mites? Do you just go to the store and buy strawberry plants or? <laughs> That's a good question. So we can, we actually work uh, with some labs that grow these bugs for those purposes. And we grabbed them and then we, we infected uh, some cannabis plants in the greenhouse and use those as host plants for these insects to branch off throughout the whole greenhouse. So we spread these, these host plants through the whole greenhouse until we had a pure infection across the whole thing. And so they, they, they just grabbed them that way. We had a question from chat um, on what you were talking about and says, I'd love to hear more about what led Colin to look at time specifically for your IPM spray. Did you look at any other plants as well? Any other? So we looked at other botanicals. Uh, the time ended up being something that I thought was uber effective. There was a couple of very compelling fractions in the time extract that I believed in. That worked really well. That was scientifically backed that we could prove and that we could extract and concentrate and get um, reliably and consistency and, and, and consistently. So there's a lot of pieces that go together. Got a lot of factors that go together when you when you're trying to make technology. And I'll tell you what, you can make some pretty cool technologies, but you can't always make pretty cool technologies at scale. And so the availability and all these details and the reliable sources of some of your products or the ingredients of your products have to, have to be consistent, and you have to. Um, um, Again, rely on them. You know, one of the things I'll say, this is an example of this, this particular product is not organically certified yet. I'd have to change an ingredient. What do you think that ingredient is, Steve? I'll tell you, the corn, the corn oil. And I didn't think about this, but when, you, when I'll say this, you'll be like, oh yeah. And after I heard that, I was like, duh. You know, the corn oil is just this carrier, like I said, nothing special. You cannot really buy reliably, and this is by my sourcing team, reliably, consistently, high-quality, non-GMO corn oil. It's all GMO. There are some sources, but the volume and the economics and these details, uh, with all that said, we decided to go with a reliable source, and we're going to scale to uh, more organic source and as soon as we get that organic source that we can uh, reliably acquire and use we'll uh we'll move that way so it's natural i'll stand behind it the organic certification is what it is and that's it that's awesome yeah um, it's good it works so good you know i'll tell you what we i try 
we're still working on some of the microbial products and I keep on sending them back to the drawing board because I just don't think that they're up to par. And this came out first, so this product came out first. There's a huge demand for it. We we launched a little over a month ago and we sold out. We made a bunch of it. We sold out our first week. And so it's really fascinating. It's, it's clean, it's easy. You know, we don't recommend for application, see, we don't recommend using oils on flour. I just don't, I don't believe in it personally. And so we didn't put that on the label. I'll tell you why, because if you if you add oils or any of those things late in the season and you want to extract that flour, there's a chance oils will extract with it. I've had that experience with people that were burning sulfur late into the season and sulfur burning works good, but you don't want to extract any of that because it tastes like rotten eggs. And I had a really dear friend um, that had a big grow in Washington state and he was just buying trim and blowing that. And I'll tell you what, he got that product into the market before he realized that it tasted like rotten eggs because of the sulfur burning and he had to recall a bunch of, a bunch of cartridges. It was a real, really painful for him. And so it's the same thing with neem. You hear that, you know, you don't want your plants or your oils tasting like neem. But if you can apply it during veg, hardened clones through veg in the first couple of weeks in bloom, you can knock down and start your, your you know, your more vigorous bloom flower cycle uh, clean. And IPM is a probability game. You want to keep all those pests down until you harvest. And we believe we believe in that, uh, along with using uh, beneficial insects further on in the in the flowering cycle, you're going to see awesome results. Well, not to mention all the recalls with the neem oil recently. What was it? Uh, the state of Oregon found basically most of the popular neem oils and cold-pressed neem oils were in direct violation of USDA rules with uh, unlisted ingredients. So it's, I, it's, I, I'll, I'll be honest with you. If I had to take a stab and guess where the those unlisted ingredients came from, I bet you they probably aren't intentionally added by the neem company or the neem oil company. They're probably just legit squishing the stuff they get. But I bet you that stuff that's being used for IPM on the neem trees in India or wherever they're sourcing this stuff from, and then it's ending up in the, you know, after post-processing being, you know, a residual. There's two things that I've heard. I'll just share this with you. And I had another, I know another company that gotten some issue with that also, and it wasn't necessarily intentional. And so there's that, but uh, some of these companies use third-party manufacturers for their mixing. They just don't invest in that equipment or they don't have the expertise so they use someone else. But what happens is you have to be really diligent with those partners because they're mixing all sorts of stuff in their vessels. And sometimes they're mixing your products in those vessels, but they're mixing chemicals in those vessels before that and they won't get washed out good. And uh, one of the one, a company was doing that and they got tested uh, for uh, some pretty bad chemicals in the product. And it was because of their third party uh, processing that they were outsourcing. So that, from what you said, absolutely, I believe that. And, and then in that processing, it can happen also. And so you have to be diligent, man. Yeah, a lot of people don't realize, you know, especially anytime you're making either an extract product or I'm sure also with your microbial products, you know, you have to be super careful about cleaning your stuff between runs and, you know, designing machines that can be dismantled and, and cleaned in an easy way, um, you know, so that employees actually do it and don't sign off on it without doing it. <laughs> it's a huge challenge. It's 95% of what we do in the back is aseptic sterile technique. 
And it is such a challenge with our microbial product and with these other products. I mean, that's what we do. A microbiologist, more than anything else, is a clean freak. And they have all the methods in the world to keep it clean. It's still not easy because, you know, you know, there's things like air and wind and water. And, you know, you think about using even city water sources. I measure the city water source coming into the building just because we can. And it has some days high microbial concentrations and it varies. And I'll even run it through a molecular pipeline. And there's different communities of microbes at different concentrations that come through at different times in the growing season at different times of the year. And so there's seasonal effects of contamination, water and air contamination, especially this time of year, spring uh, through fall, where it's just nothing but challenges when you're trying to keep a sterile environment. I know uh, when I was up by your way, working with the aquaponics source, uh, we used to test people's water all the time up in northern Colorado, and constantly they were switching reservoirs between where they were sourcing the water, and you'd have a swing of like a full pH point over the course of like from morning to afternoon and all kinds of crazy stuff, and, you know, people all of a sudden are having these, you know, pH shock on their fish or their plants or whatever else, and you know, it's all because the they switch reservoirs and, you know, for drinking water going from an, you know, 7.8 or 8.2 uh, down to a 7.2 or even a 6.8, it's no big deal. But if you're, you know, supplying it for living organisms, that's a huge issue um, and, and really going to screw up your chemistry quite extensively. Yeah, you got that right. No doubt about it, man. And, you know, if you don't know what you don't know, I, luckily... You know, I know those things as a microbiologist, and we went into this um, maximizing our probability for success, and I, and uh, it's still hard, really difficult. And people, beware if you think it's easy to manufacture microbial products with consistency. That's the hardest thing. You know, not only do you have to get something that works really well, and not only do you have to find a microbial formula that uh, scales and is compatible and efficacious across a lot of different environments and has long shelf life and all that stuff that you kind of intuitively think about. But then you have to make it. And making it consistently is just as hard as anything. So, and I, I, I like the challenge, don't get me wrong. I think it's an amazing thing, an amazing challenge, an amazing impact uh, that our team has on, on cultivation, you know, figuring out how to maximize precision and quality in the manufacturing step. You know, our R&D to our manufacturing and getting out and, and engaging with people. I mean, it's just a, an awesome team and there's nothing but opportunity and growth, but nothing we do is easy. Not one thing maybe that much. Hmm. Yeah. Awesome. <laughs> awesome. <laughs> so uh, what else do you have in the, uh, um, we had someone ask in chat, what, what is the effect on beneficial insects? Should they wait to use it? How long should they wait after application before applying? That's a great question. That is a, such a good question. And so we know a little bit. We don't know a lot. I would like to, I would, I'd like to wait if we possibly can. The thing about beneficial insects is they're more mobile. And so typically they're, they're hopping around and they can do a better job of avoiding. And they'll avoid a product when you're spraying it on. But if you knock them, I don't there's a huge hindrance but i can't tell for sure because we haven't done those studies in particular what we recommend i'll just say is during veg you have this effect where you can apply it i don't have any uh 
uh, like concern about the product making it onto the end flowers because the flowers haven't developed yet. I think there's going to be enough of a residual, just the chemical signaling effect from the technology to repel the insects because I've seen it and it works really good. And it's not magic, it's, it's nature or natural solutions. And so we want multiple applications, one application, four weeks in a row to make sure we disrupt any life cycle. That's all you really have to do. Four applications, once a week, during veg, you can do it. Couple more if you want to. A couple weeks in the bloom, you can do it on the very hardened clones, wait till they're hardened. I just think it's best practice. And right now, growers are still incorporating their beneficials, but they're carrying the beneficials to a large degree into the flowering cycle. And we're not applying mammoth uh, biocontrol past a couple weeks in flower. And so there's no issue right there. You know, the only issue I would, you know, hypothesize is if you sprayed your beneficials directly with this technology, you know, they're probably going to get stressed a little bit, to say the least. If they're knocking down uh, the mites, and there's more of a repellent effect than there is. This isn't like a cytal, not a chemical cytal, where it's just going to kill. There is definitely a septicin effect just by the physical nature of the oil, and there's a huge repellent effect, and that's what we want. So it's about repelling and preventing, and this is a preventative straight up. It's an exempt product. Uh, meaning that it's natural and considered completely safe by USDA and all agriculture um, at the federal level and all agriculture um, departments at the state level. So no issue, but, you know, just use best practice. We had a, a really good question in chat here. So how do you go about quantifying efficacy for pest management products? Uh, I know you touched on a little bit earlier. Man, I'll tell you what, it's labor-wise, it's intense. Scientifically, it's so much easier than using biologicals for, for performance or for nutrient use efficiency or growth, you know, because effectiveness is the first thing you measure with all products. With a mammoth pea product, you have to define effectiveness. What does success look like? And we think success looks like a couple of things. It looks like increased yield. And it looks more so, at least as much so, of increased quality. We want to improve yield and quality. And so how do you measure that? We grow a bunch of plants up. We have a bunch of side-by-side -side, uh, controlled studies. And not only do you have to harvest yield at the end of the growing season, but you have to measure the quality of it. You have to do it in a manner with a lot of samples, so you have a lot of confidence. So that's a lot of work, and it's a lot of investment. And there's different effects or different success rates we we see success across many many cultivars but there's going to be some idiosyncrasies across cultivars i've heard huge increases across some cultivars and, and not as huge across others and so there's a lot to dial in for still a long time for a biocontrol if you have a target pest you know there's a pretty definitive measure it's either not going to be on that plant or it's going to be laying at the ground dead on that plant if it's actually a cytal product. There's a static or preventative and there's cytal categories uh, for a pesticide or biocontrol. Cytal, anything that's cytal, is by definition thought to kill. Cyte equals kill in microbiology. And so those are typically chemistry products that literally kill bugs. And you can see if you apply a very effective chemistry cytal product, on an insect, you can kill it. And if you kill it, you can count it. 
because it's right there. And if you count it, you can measure the effectiveness. So that's easy. Uh, the preventative, you still count. It's a little more difficult. I, I, I don't want to minimize the amount of labor and science that went into this. We talked about the greenhouse where we infected the whole greenhouse. We had 50 plants per treatment group and they're randomly assorted through the greenhouse. So we didn't have any spatial, uh, any uh, spatial bias throughout the greenhouse on maybe insects, you know, or inhabiting a certain part of the greenhouse more than the others. So we did it exactly right. But then we have an army of research associates walking through counting bugs and counting them on plants repeatedly. And so that's a ton of work, but it's pretty definitive work. And you can count a plant uh, with enough labor that has, you know, hundreds or thousands and a plant that has none. And that's what we found is this pattern is we would find, uh, you know, a mammoth and DPI treated plant with no infection, literally. And the plant right next to it was covered. And that checkerboard pattern happened throughout the greenhouse. It's just fascinating. And so you just measure stuff. Counting, counting bugs, live and dead bugs, is easy compared to plant physiology and trying to measure plant nutrient uptake across the growing cycle and how that's translating to uh, stacking and more flower development and more trichome development and more cannabinoid you know, production and more terpene production and which terpene production. There's a lot more interactions on a plant physiology, nutrient use efficiency, performance side, then there are in a biocontrol where you, you're dialing in application rates so you can maximize not only the efficiency and cost uh, for cultivators, but effectiveness. And so you have to measure both of those things. Those are pretty easily experimentally uh, pieced out and measured. And you can do it for other bugs. In early trial, you can even do things in a petri dish just to get an early validation. You know, grow up some bugs in a petri dish or add so many, and you squirt them in there or squirt them in a piece of it and, and see what happens. You know, as long as they can't escape, they'll either avoid or they'll drop dead, depending on what kind of uh, technology you're validating. And right there, it, can, it allows you still have to do it on the plant, don't get me wrong, uh, but it allows you to form some early hypothesis. Uh, in a matter of days that will help inform how, how you think about using technologies or if you want to take the technologies to that next stage of a trial. We had a, another question from chat. Um, it says, uh, when using mammoth pea and watering their garden, do they need to worry about chlorine and chloramine? Uh, if so, what what do you suggest neutralizing it? Um, do you suggest, you know, does sodium thiosulfate or potassium thiosulfate uh, affect the mammoth pea at all when used in watering? Yeah, so those are good, both good questions. We've covered those over, across the years. You know, I don't see any significant effects with regular tap water from chloramine, like in uh, Colorado Springs or this area in Denver has, or Fort Collins has more of a chlorine uh, disinfectant in the water. Chloramine has a longer residual effect and chlorine is pretty typical. If you're worried about it, you know, there's a lot of commercial cultivation facilities typically normalize water through RO these days, at least in this part of the world. And I've known a lot of uh, smaller scale home growers that bubble the water or, or um, yeah, so that you can actually volatilize the chlorine. Chlorine volatilizes pretty easily if you leave it out for 24 hours most of it will actually leave the water system 
volatilized means it turns into a gas form and just goes into the air of the atmosphere. And that's just what happens with chlorine. We've done a lot of early trials where we actually did dilution and we used real chlorine and we diluted it out to look at the effectiveness of not only tap water, which didn't have an effect, but disinfectants. Because we started getting some real questions from hydroponic growers that were using an H2O2 or a silver nitrate H2O2 or chlorine products in their hydroponic systems. And they wanted to use microbes or mammoth microbes particularly also. And so what is that effect? We decided to do a dilution study over time. And what we found is, you know, disinfectants kill microbes and they kill mammoth microbes also, but not as much as you would think. And if you use some of these disinfectant products at the same, at the recommended application rate with mammoth microbes at the recommended application rate, uh, at the same time, you're going to get an order of net magnitude knockdown of our microbes, which is a lot of microbes. But there's still a bunch in the system that you're applying. If you wait 24 hours between those applications, you're going to get basically no effect because those chemicals, disinfectants, uh, dissipate. If it's a chlorine product, it actually volatilizes in about a 24-hour period. If it's a H2O2, which is hydrogen peroxide, chemical formula for hydrogen peroxide, or a silver nitrate, hydrogen peroxide, what happens is it actually, as soon as any kind of hydrogen peroxide collides with the organic cell, which is plant roots or anything else, it breaks into oxygen and water. And so it only takes that one collision to break down, so it doesn't take long, especially in recirculating or running through plant cells, to break off pretty quickly. If you wait 24 hours with any kind of disinfectant and adding the mammoth microbes, because the microbes are robust, quite frankly, that's why you can do this with mammoth microbes, you get no knockdown. And so relating that back to the question, the tap water has such low amounts relatively than would, than would be in these disinfecting uh, scenarios that there's not really an effect. For best practices for using beneficials or microbes in general, which might not have, uh, you know, microbes are hard to use in precision agriculture, let's be frank. They haven't evolved in those environments and some products have validated or actually evolved their microbes better than others to persist uh, in those harsh, microbially harsh environments. You know, high nutrient concentrations, high osmotic pressure, you're talking about the disinfectants. There's a lot, of, a lot going on that at the micro scale, uh, biology doesn't love. And so, what we did is acknowledge that uh, early on in the R&D at the university, and we wanted to evolve the microbe and use microbes that could persist and were very environmentally robust. And what we did was that we ended up weeding out tens of thousands of microbes, thousands of microbes in a, in a general uh, soil sample. And we just acknowledged or realized or, or started using the microbes that could persist in those environments because we knew that only microbes that persisted would be effective and, and valuable for cultivators. I'm glad you included the idea of the reverse osmosis, that, which is really more prevalent. And you brought up that it was hydroponics because a lot of people, most of the organic folks we know and natural farmers, they're not going to, they don't use RO. But it's, it's right. very nice that you brought that up in your answer, I just wanted to say. Oh, yeah, thanks. I appreciate that. And, you know, the the closer you get to soil, soils are buffered. And you don't need to worry about the water because those soils are not going to change. There's so much stability. The more true soil and organic you get that, that you know, the water isn't going to make a difference. It's just necessary for the biology. 
Yeah, we um, we recommend MFP all the time for aquaponics facilities, especially commercial ones. Um, it really helps increase the, the mineralization of phosphorus in aquaponics systems, especially if you throw it in your mineralization tank. Uh, yeah. We're actually going to get that heavy aeration and that, that maximum fish waste. It really does an amazing job and uh, really gives you a lot of extra uh, you know, phosphorus in particular. But we recommend that. Recommended uh, across the board and have been for years on, on aquaponics. We actually, back when I worked at the aquaponics source, you gave us uh, like a couple gallons of the stuff and we tested it. And we did even something, even including a one gallon of a 10 gallon aquarium with goldfish with mammoth pea in it. And the fish lived for three months and they were doing just fine. And we just went, okay, well, they're, they're fine. You know, no one's going to ever in their right mind do that on a large scale. <laughs> exactly. So. Uh, you know the, what? Doesn't that seem like a, a decade ago, Steve? And that was just a couple of years ago, man. I know, man. Yeah. <laughs> it was safe for the fish. That's the bottom line. <laughs> it's safe for the fish. That is the bottom line. Yep. So that was one of the things that I always liked about it. It was super safe. And then it does just make a noticeable difference. You know, we tested that in side-by-sides at the lab at Aquaponic Source. And, you know, it was one of the few things that we ever tested that was not only fish safe, you know, up to pretty ludicrous levels that anyone would, would ever consider doing, you know, in, in a sane world as a consumer, but also uh, really made a big difference in both lettuce and cannabis and, and other crops as well. So uh, it really is a, a good thing that, you know, at the very least to be adding to your mineralization tank, if not your whole system, depending on your, your gallonage, obviously. Yeah, I think that's a really good point that you made. You know, uh, from a from a research point of view, when I was still back at the university, I wasn't trying to target any one crop. I was trying to uh, develop a very robust microbial formula that had a targeted function and that were free living bacteria, so to speak, that could be applied across many crops. Because, you know, when I was at the university, I wasn't thinking about anything other than feeding the world naturally and sustainably. And I was making technologies and I was targeting and thinking about uh, like developing countries who couldn't really feed their people well because of infrastructure and economic limitations. And my idea was I was going to go around and show people how to make their own beneficials that would help liberate the nutrients that are already in the soil so they could grow their crops and feed their populations and feed their communities. And then these other problems with uh, agriculture systems more in more developed countries, so to speak, where there's so much chemical fertilizer input. So I was trying to reduce that and adding life to those soils. And so we could use life and biology to mine the existing phosphorus as an example uh, from those soils that was building up and unavailable. So we could deliver those nutrients to plants naturally. So microbes are so important for everything we do. I think it's interesting and, and just a blessing, quite frankly, to be able to engage uh, as a microbiologist the way I'm engaging now and actually making a difference. I thought about it for a long time at the university. I just wasn't very equipped. I didn't have the, the, the knowledge to understand how to do more with what we were doing at the university. And step by step, you know, we took some leaps of faith and we got where we are today. And now, you know, the sky's the limit as far as uh, microbiome research, microbiology. I have some friends that uh, their, their kids have autism and and uh, and they're getting older, but they're starting to realize how just manipulating the different microbiome aspects in their guts as humans, 
uh, can help alleviate some of those symptoms and improve some functionality. So I'm absolutely amazed with, and I always have been, the force that guides us all, not this invisible force, this microbial biology force that, that, that apparently controls all of us. I mean, I think to a large degree, we think that microbes control our moods now. They definitely control our health and a healthy, and you kind of are what you eat. If you don't have a healthy microbiome, you're not a healthy person. So super interesting stuff. Same for agriculture though. You know, plants need their own microbiome as well. Just like, just like humans. What, uh, what else you got uh, cooking up there? I know you're always working on new things. Do you have anything else you want to talk about at all? I know you're always, uh, man, I'll tell you what I get excited about, Steve. I get excited about quality. You know, when we were when we were engaging with a lot of farmers, and th there's a lot of talk about yield, and it's inherent with with uh, this industry as it's emerging. If I engage with growers in Europe or Australia, they're still punching for yield because they're getting paid on yield, just like any farmer. And I get it, but there and here. You know, people are really starting to understand that once you get yield, you know, it's not that special unless you can bring some quality with it. Quality is key. And so I am fascinated with chasing quality and developing some technologies that will allow the plants or trigger the plants to maximize their phenotypic potential towards quality. Awesome. Which means, you know, flavor, terpene, potency of different cannabinoids, expression of different cannabinoids. I think there's a lot of work we can still do, and there's a lot of unknown. That doesn't happen overnight. That gets to this geeked out level, and that probably gets pretty targeted. Do I think that our technologies that we're trying to work on now will trigger some, some cultivars the same way? Mm, I'm not sure. I wouldn't be completely confident that all plants are going to respond equally. But I do think, Steve, that there's soft chemical stress stimuli that we could probably uh, promote some microbes to do that allow plants to, oh, man, I need to make this terpene or think I need to make this other cannabinoid. And so understanding that takes some real fundamental science, which our team is working on, and then applying it to validate it is the next piece of it. That's a lot of the talks that we have. How do we maximize quality? And I'll tell you, a lot of the growers are using mammoth now isn't because they're getting increased yield. They got that, but they're getting it because they're selling their whole crop. And this happened just the other day. We're in the grow and they sold the whole thing before it was harvested because it punched their quality up, the phenotypic potential of their strains, which has a lot to do with the, the with the uh, genetics, quite frankly, also. So I'm not going to say that you can start with bad genetics and get amazing plants. You have to start with the right genetics. But their plants expressed such flavors and terpenes, they sold the whole thing, you know, right off the top before it harvested weeks out. So kudos to them. And that's why a lot of people are looking at mammoth now. Of course, they're getting that yield. You know, we see it all the time, but they're getting yield with quality. And I love that part more. As, as an advocate and, and fan of cannabis, you know, I, can, I can carry a Santa Claus sack. Of cannabis on my back 
But if it's not something I want to engage in, it's just not that very, it's not very valuable to me. But if we have really, really nice strains that the flavor and quality that, that I love, you know, remember when Frenchie was talking about it in, in Humboldt at the Living Soil Conference? Do you remember what he said? Were you there that, that night during his talk that evening? Yep, yep. It moved me, and it because it was exactly the way I felt about it. And he's just a, a huge advocate for the quality and making sure that you are just dialed in on those flavors and that full experience. And he said something that was awesome. You know, he's pretty poetic, or he's French, and so it makes me think I'm from West Texas. i French, sounds kind of poetic to me, uh, French guys. But what he said was, if you can engage your customer with the quality that moves them, they're gonna have to do everything in their means to experience that again. You just set the bar to a new level. And I think that's what's happening in this industry so to a long time, to a, long, a large degree right now is the bar being set, not with how much you can grow, but with the quality that you can put out. And once you experience that, the stuff you're experiencing five years ago ain't that and you don't want to go back to that necessarily you want what moved you with that new sense and so i think that was uh, that i think that's where everything's going so you got to focus on quality what do you think about that steve i think that you're seeing that especially in the mature markets um you're seeing the the move towards quality i know that i've seen that quite a bit in the more mature markets I would say in the newer markets, they just want their $100 ounce. Like people don't give a shit the first year or two of legalization. It takes a while. Your, your consumer base has to be educated enough to understand why they should buy diamonds and sauce or why they should pay more for cold pressed rosin or why they should pay more for cold cured rosin or what, you know, people don't understand what two thirds of the stuff in the store is when they first get there. Um, they've never been exposed on even how to smoke it. Imagine right. if you've never even known what dabs are or never seen a dab rig before. Like, you know, that's intimidating to uh, someone who's used to smoking joints. You know, it's just a foreign experience to them. And I think that that this goes back to something that I harp on extensively, which is what is the number one enemy of our industry? Education. The more education we can put out for people, you know, if you're a dispensary owner, having a space that you can set up for an education space to teach seminars or to regularly have, you know, different educational events or bring in experts that can answer questions for people. Um, these are things that are going to go a long way. You know, visiting elderly homes in particular can be a great way um, to, uh, you know, really uh, get a lot more people on your side for both city council meetings or uh, to get more people into your dispensary, um, you know, again, educating uh, groups of people that aren't educated on cannabis and going to them at their where they, you know, congregate is is you know a big way to to help kind of um, educate people on why they should appreciate quality over that you know hundred dollar ounce because you know we don't need to all fight over that race to the bottom. You know, you have. Aurora, you know, big giant companies to, to race to the bottom. You know, we need to, to focus on quality if you're going to actually stay in the market long term. Yeah, I think that's well said. And that's exactly uh, how I think 
I've experienced that also. Once you learn more, you learn more. And over time, that $100 ounce isn't going to be appealing to the masses. And after you experience that next level of quality, that you're going to start looking for it. Absolutely. Um, so you get a chance to travel and, uh, and see a bunch of different cannabis markets around the world. What are some of the differences that you're seeing from market to market and, and you know, with, between the EU and, and the U.S. and, you know, some of the other more exotic places you've had the pleasure of, of visiting? What are some of the maybe bigger differences or maybe just differences in, in, in culture or, or maybe things that have stuck out to you uh, in the you know, last few, few years? What, what, I'll, what I'll say is I think the trend uh, towards more soil and living soil is spreading so fast. Even a couple of years ago when I was in the UK, it was heavy hydroponics. And people got that quality itch and they started realizing that more soil and organic additives and microbes uh, will help maximize the plant's ability to develop the terpenes or produce those terpenes and, and those other flavors, flavonoids. and uh, the quality, potency even, that changed the way they wanted to experience the plant. Same thing in Australia, same thing to a large degree in Spain, where there's areas of, of there's a lot of different things going on, quite honestly. There's groups, there's just groups that are growing, you know, and you know that, and they're growing and they're selling, and they're uh, exporting uh, in the in the shades of gray market and the quality isn't the priority for those large bulk um, growers and exporters of flour but in the areas where there's actually consumers uh, the b2c at the clubs in in barcelona as an example in spain people chase the clubs that have that quality and that's just the truth there's folks through australia that you know are growing big and as the quality becomes more important they're going to be chasing it so there's a there's a shift that's happened pretty quick i'll say from i would even say a dominant hydroponic and a lot of that has to do with space and everything else space limitations depending on you are we are in the uk and other places space limitation is a huge challenge in, in the bigger cities especially the larger european cities and you have to make the most of a very small space. I've seen the smallest little tent I've ever seen in my life in Europe. And it was just ridiculous. I don't even think you'd grow one plant in there, but you know, maybe one little autoflower. And you know, that's why hydroponics were stuck away in, in different places in little kind of musty basements. But it's changed now where people all want that soil and they all want the microbes more and more. Mammoth is selling great in the UK because it's compatible and you can plug it in. And you know you get some of those aspects of, of living soil uh, with uh, the bacteria that are in mammoth microbes as an example to to help stimulate the plant's ability to maximize its phenotypic potential. So it's changed so quick, man. I don't even know what to say, but that chase for quality and and I've heard living soil from those markets a lot this year that they weren't talking about it 18 months ago, man, which is very encouraging. I'd have to admit the quality is getting better in the dispensaries, especially in Washington, as far as concentrates go. You know, I think that that's such a tough market 
if you can't distinguish yourself with a quality, you're not going to be able to sell your product because there's so many cultivators and a limited number of retailers. That's the bottleneck. And those retailers control the market. They still make so much money. The prices, I don't think, have dropped at the retail the customer, but the cultivators are all begging to get their product on the shelf. And the only way you can distinguish yourself, I think, is with the brand and the quality associated with that brand. And those growers that have done that in Washington are doing just fine. Yeah, which we've been talking about that for the past few months about craft. You're kind of getting into where you're talking about craft growers and all, where it is a better quality and people will chase that. And that's that's what we're all hoping for in the long run. There's going to be so much it's like mids or, you know, stuff that's not not quite up to par, like you said, where they're going for the dollar more than they're going for quality. And but then on the other side, you got you got the people that that want to have the higher quality as well. And. And so that's why it's going across the board, I think. And yeah, you like you said, live soil, that's really big, uh, become a big thing. Natural farming's going and going. And it just, every time you turn around, there's more and more people getting into it. You know, that's a really interesting point. And they, they make the analogy with the beer, the beer industry. And I'm, I'm not a beer drinker. I guess I used to drink when I was a younger guy. And I just had a conversation, though, however, before this, with uh, a lady that does design at New Belgium Brewery, and she's right around the corner. We're in Fort Collins, Colorado. There's a ton of wonderful microbreweries, craft breweries here. And, you know, the beer industry went from the big ones, and then these craft brewers came up in the, in the alcohol industry and just took, took these big breweries by storm because people started wanting more quality. And I think the same thing is happening. I've heard this or I'm not, you know, I'm not actually, this isn't an original thought. This is more of a synthesis of what a lot of people are saying. The craft industry grew up because people wanted more quality. And that same thing, which I think is encouraging, is going to happen in the cannabis industry because it makes a lot of space for craft, smaller grows to, to value to the market with high quality flour. And I'm not so sure. I mean, I would say that it's very difficult to provide the same kind of quality in a huge scale operation as it is in a smaller craft operation. Sorry, I couldn't get to my clicker to click my microphone back on. <laughs> I was about to I was about to step back in, but I was hoping you'd say something wrong. Yeah. No, yeah, that's on point. That's on point. That's the whole point. The whole thing is, is and I don't know. I mean, I'm sure Steve's got some input because he he does work with some big grows and he's trying to strive for that excellent quality in that respect. A lot of it has to do with the cultivars and all that he's choosing uh, to make that happen. But yeah, definitely smaller, smaller grows and such like that. It, it, I would think, yeah. Again, I think we're going to see changes because they're just everybody's getting smarter. The younger generation's getting so much smarter, and because they've had the internet and and the ability to learn things that exponentially that we were never able to learn that fast. It took years, you know, and a lot of time on forums and doing research. Uh, and and but I love the way it's going that way, and and the smart people I think are targeting to to go that way. Uh, smaller craft grows that are really high quality in order to succeed you know, where other people are going to be kind of caught in the middle. Yeah, it makes sense. What do you think, Steve? I mean, you're, you're seeing that all the time. Um, look at all the bigger contests having an amateur and, and professional, you know, to separate the commercial from the, even just 
this weekend, there's this past weekend at the DGC Cup, they had a separate amateur and professional, you know, just to kind of have those two differentiations. You're already seeing the market do it organically and having that delineation, you know, without them even thinking about it in that context, you're seeing it happen, you know, already. I mean, like, like even Emerald Cup last year with the with the home grow and the professional. Yeah, exactly. And, you know, who knows where it's going to go, but there's still, this industry is still uh, moving at a pretty fast pace. And I don't know when it's going to ask some toes. I have no idea, but there's going to be a lot of movement. And, you know, I was thinking about this, talking to this, uh, this lady, this designer, I just wanted to kind of engage her and, and get her thoughts on some design stuff. I do that all the time, just talk to experts to kind of shape my reality better. But one of the things that hit the craft brewery industry, this is something to think about. I had thought about it, where the beer, the beer business in particular is tough right now. There's a lot of competition, and it's very hard to be successful. And even the craft brewers, and this is an interesting idea that we might be able to relate to the cannabis industry, are getting completely squeezed right now. And the reason is no one stopped drinking beer, but the Budweiser's and Coors have started acquiring a bunch of craft groves or craft breweries, craft brands to, to house underneath their umbrella. And now they're squeezing out again the craft brews with craft brews. And I think that's a very interesting thing to keep your eye on. I do relate everything I can to the cannabis industry because you know, there's some huge grow facilities that have pretty deep pockets. And that could be a strategy that they deploy down the road to get more market share. So how do you survive? I don't know. I, I don't want to uh, I don't want to assume anything. I think that you you survive by distinguishing yourself as a brand and you distinguish yourself with the highest possible quality that people demand. That'll keep you alive forever. Oh, yeah. Very true, very true. Because it seems like even in all businesses, it seems like if you find that niche, right, you stay small and find that niche market, you can really survive. If you try and stay in the middle with the rest of them, you're gonna really have a hard time to survive. Yeah, that's right. You know, I read a lot of business books now because I'm not a business guy, and so I'm giving myself an education with you know experiencing mammoth microbes grow and just you know, like everything else, trying to treat it pretty academically. And there's this thing called uh, it's in good to great. It's this hedgehog concept, which basically all it means is do identify the thing that you do that you can do better than anything else and better than anyone else. And that's you and do that. Don't do everything. Don't do everything that you're not because you're not going to do it better than your competition. But if you can identify what you do wonderfully and no one will be able to do that better than you, you survive. You actually thrive with that concept. So less is more and focus is key. Yeah, consistency. Here, here. Consistency. That I mean, so many people don't follow through with things and just simply call people back when it comes to businesses. It's there's there's a ton of there's a ton of opportunity. Yeah. And I think you know, in this in, in this industry and others, you know, there's just some simple business acumen that that as we learn, we'll grow in professionalism. And as people come in, you know, you know, the most impressed I am right now is if I have a conversation with someone at a trade show and they email me acknowledging that and thanking me for their time that Monday, I'm like, wow. That's like, wow, 
that guy's a professional. And I want to engage with little, little tactics like that that are simple. But if you just think about it, and that's all about acknowledgement and having a process that you'll honor and doing that, that'll get you in the right direction. Little things, little steps that go a long way. That's just a weird example, but I think that's a, no, that's a super good example. Like, especially for people that are looking to get into this industry. So many people are like, how do I get in? How do I make any connection? How do I do this? You know, go and make connections, get out in the industry, start talking to people, figure out what they're doing and why they're doing it. I mean, that's the biggest thing. There's a lot of room to distinguish yourself as an individual. And I'll tell you what people, you talk about quality of product. What about quality of professionalism? And I mean, you can come in as a professor, you have to have the right skill set for the right role and all that stuff. That doesn't go around. But that if you're if you're dedicated to professionalism, you can probably find an opportunity in this industry. And I think it's gotten very professional. I'm not trying to say that it hasn't. I've seen this evolve and I'm still working on my professionalism to a large degree. But what I, all I'm saying is if you're very good at something and you can provide value, there's gonna be a home for you somewhere. That's a very good point, too. And especially with the hemp industry going nuts right now, there are so I mean, there was enough because cannabis still is illegal in many, many, many states. But the hemp production is now opening up opportunities and that would still fit right along the line of uh, doing high quality, you know, because of the different ways, whether you're doing extractions or now they're coming up with these uh, smokable CBD auto flowers that have terpene levels and they taste great, like really good pot, you know and uh that uh, so the, yeah the industry's open up every day every day there's something new coming up that allows us to to take and maybe go down and make a different choice that could allow us to thrive so yeah absolutely uh, so for the handful of people that live under a rock what what is mammoth p uh <laughs> what is mammoth p Mammoth P is a liquid organic microbial soil additive. These microbes act as a catalyst to maximize plant phosphorus availability. So your plants can significantly take up more phosphorus. Phosphorus is critical for a lot of things in plant physiology. And what we know is uh, growers that add Mammoth P into the grow are able to maximize not only their plant health, but their plant development. And we see not only increases in yield, but also increases in quality across many cultivars. Simple, easy to use, 0.6 mils per gallon, 0.16 mils per liter, if you don't use the US metric or the US measuring system, which is everybody besides us. And you just run it into your existing fertigation uh, feeding regime without changing anything else. You just mix it in and roll it in. I like to sit in once a week or twice a week, get it to the roots, the roots, interact and the microbes interact with the roots and bring that nature and that natural interaction to agriculture. I love you said fertigation. I just had to throw that in there. Most people don't use that word or know that word. You know, and I love that. That's a, something we came up with, uh, well, not necessarily came up with, but Clemson and, you know, over here in the Southeast, we've been working on fertigation for quite some time. So yeah, that's right. Irrigation, water fertigation yep. is yep. with nutrients, fertilizing. Nice, thank you. <laughs> Is there any other uh, anything else you want to drop on us? Uh, I know we've. Oh, go ahead, Marty. 
Oh yeah, I was gonna say I got here late, so I don't know if you guys talked about this or not. But um, your your episode before was um, when you came on before was one of my favorites because you talked about um, your process for breeding microbes over generations in order to you know sort of get the the super microbes, if you will. And yeah. so I was just curious if, if you had developed that or changed that at all since the last time you were on, or have you found it to be a pretty consistent process that you didn't have to adjust much more? Got it. I appreciate that. So, you know, we have a directed selection approach. Where we actually evolve, naturally evolve microbes for specific functions. It's kind of like a plant breeding approach. We'll get a bunch of diversity and we'll be able to train microbes to perform something, to do something better. Uh, that was the case for mammoth pea. We train those microbes to cycle phosphorus to a higher level while in an environmentally selective environment, weed out the microbes that wouldn't persist in, in typical agriculture hydroponic environments. The only thing that we change, we still use that platform, but we choose different traits. When you think about a plant trait of size or whatever, we think about traits for microbes as nutrient cycling. And so we could target micronutrients or we could target nitrogen or we could target potassium or calcium. And so we're working on targeting other traits and nurturing those traits of ability to solubilize or cycle, uh, mineralize those specific nutrients, again, targeted function with different microbial consortia. And it's high throughput. It's not necessarily easy. We're pretty excited about the technologies we have on deck as far as those performance technologies, maximizing nutrient use efficiency. And we should have another technology out uh, in the near term on that performance side. You know, we're also avidly looking for more technologies on the biocontrol side, because I just think there's a need right now to make sure you have the right solutions to mitigate pests. Pests are just coming. Uh, you have to have maximum nutrient use efficiency for sure. But I'll tell you what, if you have an infestation or you have some pest pressure, you have to have to have to have a solution for that or your crop is gone. I think of prevention or protection as the new cure. You know, and that's why we have a solution on a suite of solutions that you should adopt in an integrated pest management practice to maintain the value of your crop. So this is our first product, Mammoth Biocontrol. It's a different suite of products. I'm actually looking at some microbial solutions also uh, to mitigate pests. We'll probably look at some other natural extract byproduct solutions as well that might not have living microbes, but microbial produced uh, bio properties that repel or significantly decline different pest pressures. I think our next target's gonna be a couple different things on that line. And I definitely wanna focus on the macros and the micros on the performance line. That would be, a, in a perfect world, we have the sweetest solutions, uh, not only to maximize your plant's ability to take up any nutrient you want naturally, but also to prevent uh, the sweet of pests that you might experience uh, in, in different regions. And we know the main, the main culprits typically you can list them pretty simply and i'm going to have we're going to definitely have one or two solutions for each of them and sometimes you really want to rotate especially on that preventative side we're glad you're on our side because i think we can all agree that uh, you have found your niche and what you do really well and we're glad you keep thinking of new ways to make it better 
Thank you very much. I appreciate that. You know, focus is key. And life's hard enough without focus. At least we have that. That's really awesome. So, oh, like sorry, Steve. Ted. I was wondering, so um, is this Dem Pure certified then to use? Has that been uh, asked at all yet? There's no, I don't know. I don't think it works like that right now. Okay. I was just curious if there was like how any of that worked or what was with that. Standing on that, I don't know. Uh, I would love to. I'd love to get my hands on it and try it in some aquaponics, though, and and see how it goes. That'd be. I haven't had a chance to actually try the biocontrol yet, so I uh, will have to give it a whirl. Yeah. Well, you know, you know where I am. I can help you. <laughs> yeah. You know. You know. Well, that's really awesome. So is there anything else you want to share with us? I know you're a very busy man. I don't want to tie up your whole evening. Have we been talking for over an hour? We've been talking for a long time. I think I don't have anything else to say. Gosh forbid if I did. <laughs> you always, uh, you, you really, um, have you uh, picked up anything? In, in, you know, I always see you with different uh, microbial panels and different things like that. The different things. Uh -huh. Usually when I pop in on, on one of your talks, uh, you're on some panel with a couple of other people. What are some of the other things that you've uh, maybe gotten insight from that's maybe, um, you know, given you some direction or different things over the last year or two? Yeah, I'll tell you what, I've actually, I do a lot of microbe stuff. I've been geeking out on business. And so that's just a whole different topic that I don't want to get into. I'll tell you what I'm doing right now. I'm trying to engage with people smarter than me, just like I always have to get smarter y'all are some of those people um i also what well, we're going to go to indo expo in portland i'll just plug that and um giving a talk and then we're on a panel with a couple really smart guys and so uh that will be a lot of fun jeff lowenfeld is one of those guys and you know he writes all those books and he does that so well then we have another gentleman that's just amazing he's a horticulturist from new england dude smart and he does he geeks out on experimental design so we have jeff the the author and microbe advocate we have me that you know kind of sits there and shakes his head and sometimes i say something scientific and then we have <laughs> we have that uh our, our other guest it's amazing so uh without ruining it come see that panel it's going to be amazing and we're going to have a lot of fun at indo expo that's in August, first part of August. Yeah, that's coming up like in a week. Yeah, yeah, in Portland, right? I know. Yeah. Yeah. Have fun, are you going? I might be there. Actually, I was just talking to one of my friends from Colorado today. I was like, you should fly out to it. I'll totally meet you down there. So, I don't know, we'll see. Brilliant. <laughs> I'll, I'll, yeah. I'll probably go. I'm only like six hours away, five, six hours. Right, right, right. I got, I got you go. I got free tickets to go, but didn't uh, couldn't make it work on the schedule. Got too much going on. If I if I was going to go do anything in the first week of August, if I could get away from the farm, it'd be Chris Trump's class. But I think, but uh, but I am. We're about to bring the farm online in the next two weeks, so or at least so you don't. Online, so. so you don't have anything going on, huh, Steve? No, I think I'm. I'm we're seven work. <laughs> I'm ball and chain to this facility here until it's up and running. <laughs> Awesome. So, well, um, 
uh, I appreciate your time. I don't, again, I don't want to tie up your whole evening. It's been, uh, uh, you know, quite a bit, quite a bit. So, um, uh, thanks a lot for joining us. Um, why don't you, uh, tell everybody how to find you and, uh, how they can get a, you know, find your products. Absolutely. So obviously you can go www.mammothmicrobes. You can hook up with us at, at Mammoth Microbes on Instagram. That's an awesome channel to get to us. You can get up with me directly, Colin W. Bell, C-O-L-I-N with one L, W. Bell, uh, on Instagram. And I'll, I'll hook up with you directly. Come see us at the show in Indo Expo. Um, you know, contact, info at Mammoth Microbes. There's so many ways to get in touch with us. It's not even funny. So reach out to us. We love to talk to people. And if we can bring you value, we'll do our best to do it. That's awesome. always a pleasure. Always a pleasure to talk with you for sure. Likewise. Thank you very much for your support. As always, please let me know if I can do anything that supports you. And uh, we will be seeing each other uh, as we do. Yeah, you and I see each other every, you know, two or three months. Just <laughs> That's right at the same events all the time i know what do you do it's fun you know what we have we 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 should all be grateful we have a great life i'll tell you what more than anything else I'm, I'm, i like to practice gratitude more than ever you know what we're doing today we're breathing you know we're mobile you know there's so many things to be grateful for and we're in this wonderful path and this wonderful journey there's just everything to be grateful for nothing's easy i'm not looking for easy i'm looking for fulfillment today and fulfillment is engaging with wonderful people like you it's figuring out how we can be of service to people and bring them value and there's nothing that matters besides that and all good comes in that state of mind and i've just realized it and so i just every morning wake up i want to be grateful and i want to try and be of service and help people and you know why wouldn't you one of these days we might not have that opportunity and so I love looking at the journey. I love the journey. And I guess this last thing is that's what it's all about. It's about the journey. Every day I'm grateful for this journey. I think I just think, you know, when you told me the story, when we, I remember when we first talked, Steve, I remember, I don't remember exactly when, but it was like four years ago, but it felt like literally two decades ago. Things have happened. So many things have happened in our lives uh, since then and, and more good things to come. Not to get on that, but I tell you, it's important to say it sometimes. So thank you very much. It's been a wonderful way to to spend an evening, as far as I'm concerned. Heck yeah, well, we appreciate it. Yeah, appreciate it. Love your spirit, absolutely. Thank you. That was very nice to end on. Thank you. You're you're always welcome, and uh, we'll make sure we get his links in the description here. Uh, make it make it easy for anyone listening to the uh, audio version to connect on there as well. Awesome. All right. Oh, uh, one one last question. So, what is the what are the what is the rare color combos for your hats? Because I know some of them are rare and some of them aren't. What what are the rare ones? <laughs> There's, you know, I don't. I'd have to go back and look. I made such a limited edition. The green's probably super rare. Green on green and green on silver. Silver on green. If you talk about the logo being the first, green on green, silver on green. Those are super rare. I have some whites, the black, the the gold on black. Oh, people like those. That, I used to have the gold on gray, 
Oh, really? Like, That's a super yeah. rare one, man. Yeah. Well, I think somebody somebody walked off with it. It's probably what happened. Either that or I lost yeah. it. I don't know. There's one Hawaiian one in the world, only one, and I know mm -hmm. he has it. He's in Denver, unless I'm sure he still has it. The I guess super rare, black on black. That's the uh, Vaden, our guy in LA. That's LA, and we have black on black with the white, black on black with the black. Uh, I end up wearing those now. I don't know why. I just go through. Choose different. Ones. I like it. Well, we'll hook you up. <laughs> awesome. I uh, I just like it's funny because sometimes people talk about like the rarity of your hats sometimes in in passing and uh, the different. <laughs> hats. And I, that would be something funny to bring up. We're gonna we're all gonna email you tomorrow to get a hat. You know. Hey, you know what? Get in line. This is, I get a lot of those emails. I don't know like what it was, but I think I remember it was that it was really early on when Mammoth Pete first came out and hit the grow shop over here. And I think they had them, you know, they had like 10 of them and I just happened, happened to be there uh, when they had them. So that, and then when I went back to get another one, they're like, no, we don't, <laughs> we don't, they're, they're gone before, <clears throat> before they even get to the shelf. You know, all the staff was taking them. So they were the, they're the high demand hats for sure. That's true. You you better you gotta be there when they show up because the staffers love the hats too. They'll they have first pick. What can, what can you say? It's just of course they should. I mean, there's they, no and they should. That's true. Right. That's what happened. Yeah. All right. Well, you got. I think y'all all know a guy that probably That's has. Uh, we should we should email him. Thank him for coming on the show. Yeah. There you go. There you go. Well, you're welcome anytime, and uh, you know, let us know when you uh, bring out your next uh, mineral product. Uh, I'd be happy to test it in aquaponics. And uh, again, uh, I highly recommend your Mammoth P for anyone listening in aquaponic vegetable or, or cannabis grower. Brilliant, awesome! Thank you so much, Steve. Thank you, everyone. Have a great night. Yep. Thanks for coming. On. Thanks, Colin. See you later. Cheers. Awesome. That was a lot of fun. Always good to have Colin on. Great guest. Yeah, yeah. I love the fact that he, uh, that I, like when we have a guest like Colin that's so enjoyable and has such a great product and you, we're having him like for the third or fourth time on the show and you really get a good rapport going. I, I love it too. Yeah. Oh, yeah. And we, I hang out with Colin every time I get a chance to again. Like we were just joking about Colin and I never plan on hanging out. We just suddenly realize we're in the same city because of Instagram or whatever. And we're like, hey, let's hang out. It's kind of funny. Uh, so, uh, Marty, what have what you been up to in your garden? You've been a busy bee. Oh, well, I'm a little jealous of my fish right now because they all get to live at the new place a week longer than I do. So they're, <laughs> they all got moved over there. They're, they're chilling in the shade under the trees right now. And it's 100 degrees outside. And uh, I just went and checked on them this evening. And um, so we're, uh, basically we're just waiting for, you know, paperwork to get done and closing shit to happen. But the, the owners of the new place are moving out, starting to move out on Friday, should be done by Sunday. So we'll be able to probably start on Monday or Tuesday. Depends on how long they take to get cleanup done. But uh, I just decided, fuck it, we're going to hire movers. So we've got 
we got everything. Well, we don't have everything. We still got a shitload of packing to do, but we'll have everything packed up in boxes. We have a lot of stuff done, but I've moved pretty much all the aquaponics systems over there. I set up one of them with all the fish in it just to, uh, and the, the elderberry survived. My, my buddy Cody came through. Shout out to Cody. He showed up with a gorilla cart uh, in a four-wheeler to tow it with. And uh, so we were able to slide the whole media bed with the two of us off onto this gorilla cart, which just happened to be like the perfect height. And so we didn't have to really do anything to it. We just disconnected the media bed from the system. I had to cut the top off. So about the top, I harvested a bunch of berries off of it that were already ripe. So that was, that was lucky, but I did have to take probably about three feet or so just so that I could get it out of the gazebo without tilting it so much that the media would fall out. So that was kind of fun, kind of an adventure, but uh, it's all, they're all moved over there and uh, appreciate the new owners letting us get all that stuff moved ahead of time. So it was out of the way and we didn't have to worry about it, but, uh, but yeah, so the, the, the fish right now in the elderberry and the grape and a couple of tomatoes and everything already got moved over there. I have one system here, the, the, the salad bar out front. I still have to move that this weekend. And then uh, next week, next Thursday, I should be uh, uh, should be over at the new house for the podcast next week. So that will be fun. And we're planning uh, something in October. Oh yeah, and so uh, from there, uh, Steve and I are going to do uh, a four day version of our class uh, with a which will be an on site there at the new place where we'll be. You know, uh, definitely have the nursery online, so we'll, we'll be covering a lot of, uh, like, uh, cloning, and um, I'll probably have somewhere around 30 or so moms by then that we'll be taking cuts off of in, in production so that we can kind of take a look at a, a cloning operation and hopefully have the flower room set up. Uh, I mean, that'll, that'll give me some time to get a lot of that stuff together. And so um, it's, a, you know, there's 11 and a half acres out there. So there's lots of room and a huge shop. Be it basically a two-car garage will be the flower room. And then the bedroom is a, is a big shop next door to that. Um, so it's got a big high, high bay shop. So there's a... A lot of room, a lot of stuff that we'll be able to cover that we couldn't cover just out of my garage um, before. Had everything in it, just a portion of my garage, really. So excited to be able to just spread out, grow outdoors again. So we'll have uh, outdoor systems. We might even have the light deck installed before then. Got a place where they used to have a single wide trailer. It already has power and water and everything hooked up there. So just got to get it cleared out, get the rest of the trailer cleared out and uh, start setting up the light deck greenhouse. All right, clear out some trees. It's a little thick. There's quite a few oaks through there, but um, I mean, there's so much there. We'll be, you know, we'll be talking about, uh, we'll be doing ferments. There's apples, plums, cherries, uh, numerous uh, flowers. There's horsetail. Uh, in the springtime, there's morels different mushrooms, you know, I will obviously be able to, you know, collect some IMO, uh, 
nearby. So we we have a lot of different things that we can cover uh, that we that we couldn't cover before. So it's exciting to be able to to branch out into those different things and and offer a longer class that will be uh, more complete. I know Steve has a lot more content. We always struggle to get it our normal online class down to two days and uh, always feels like we're, we're we're skimming through parts of it at least and so stretching it out to four i know you did one with josh i don't know if you want to talk about uh, some of the stuff you guys did there yeah well we're, so in this version and in the new class we're gonna um i've been taking tons of build pictures at this new commercial build doing in oklahoma we'll have you know, I'll take pictures and stuff. I might, we might or may not have access to cameras that'll be here. I gotta figure that out. I'm hoping to. Um, but either way, we'll have some, you know, fresh pictures and video um, of a commercial operation and, you know, pictures from the build and everything else. And then we'll do a bunch of stuff at Marty's and, um, you know, we'll get into a lot of stuff. I've also been taking a lot of pictures of um, different insects we've been running into in the outdoor as well out here. Uh, as far as um, uh, you know, different learning about different pests, uh, different beneficials such as wheel bugs. Um, learned what a wheel bug was this week. That was kind of cool. Never seen one of those before. Those guys are pretty gnarly, but uh, good to have in your garden. Um, but uh, but yeah, it's just been a, a. We'll have a lot of cool content. You know, a lot more in depth on a lot of different things. Um, I've got a lot more progress on my book as well. Uh, so hopefully, um, maybe, maybe we'll get it done by October. I'll get it done by October. No promises. Um, but looking to have it out by the end of the year. Um, so yeah, it'll be Good a really, for you, Steve. Good for you. It'll be a really cool class and we'll get a lot of cool content. Um, I know I've been taking a lot more pictures with my, any, any insect I come across, I've been photographing with the microscope and everything and, and cataloging a lot of stuff and just really trying to get a lot more content you know lined up to really kind of change the quality of the class into being much much more of a you know book book quality so yeah sounds exciting marty yeah it is it's you know obviously it's a long time coming it's been i think a little over two years now since we we're, we're supposed to move the first time. And so it's, uh, it was just hitting me when we were moving everything that, you know, cause, um, you know, I was like, oh man, you know, I gotta, gotta set up these systems outside. And I was thinking about, you know, setting them up for the grapes and for the tomatoes and for everything else. And I'm like, oh shit, I can, I can put cannabis back in these things now. Like, um, I gotta, figure out how I can build some more because I don't, I don't want to take the grapes of the elderberries out. So we'll be, be expanding on that, but just being able to grow outside again is going to be, uh, you know, such a, such a nice luxury that, uh, I haven't been able to do here for a while and obviously had a, had a lot of fun and a lot of success doing, um, here. So, you know, it, it's, it's going to be interesting and, uh, I'm excited to do the light dip. I know that everybody's, uh, yeah, you know, everybody's really enjoying that. A lot of my friends have, have done them. You know, I obviously they've been. It's not any anything new. They've been going on down in Humboldt for a while, and so um, I think just think it's you know it's it's about the only way to do it. When you talk to people, growers that have 
whether there were pure indoor growers or pure outdoor growers before, and then they do a light depth. They're all like, yeah, I, I'd never not do a light depth again, basically. Like they might still do an indoor or still do an outdoor because they they enjoy it or or like it, but none of them, nobody's like, man, I, I really regret putting in this light depth. I think I should have just stuck with outdoor or stuck with indoor. Like you just, you never hear that, never happens. They're all like, I can't believe I didn't do this five years ago. You know, like it's basically the same reaction all the time across the board. So I'm pretty well sold on it. And uh, I'm working on a little design for an aquaponic setup. So uh, yeah, it's exciting times. And uh, now it just seems like, seems like the next, or probably like the last three or four days have just taken forever to go by because basically all but like one piece of paperwork is done and so they can't really move it up any any farther than it already has so now that we know it's going to be you know basically monday or tuesday of next week it seems like it's just you know keep checking the time like what day is it oh crap it's still today you know just not going by fast enough but i'm sure it'll uh it'll work itself out and like i said by by next week you know i should be should be live from the new house and Give you guys a little tour and uh it should be lots of fun it always just time travel with edibles you know not it's that's not, true you know, take a big fat strong edible and wake up and hey it's monday yeah unfortunately i do have to go to work so if i didn't i'd be all over that <laughs> well that's awesome i'm super excited yeah can't wait yeah, I can't imagine not growing outside. So yeah, I feel for those that cannot grow outside. Well, just imagine being told you couldn't, like not just like yeah. deciding not to, but just being like, no, you can't anymore. Yeah, that sucks. Yeah, it was not. It was not fun. You can you can watch my earlier rants on the podcast if you're, if you're interested in it. But uh, we we covered it in depth multiple times. We'll just put it that way. And so I'm I'm glad to be done done with that part of it and move on to to do more. And like I said, we have so much more stuff. All these fruit trees that we can make ferments out of. There's already uh, there's already a huge uh, compost pile out there that's already started and ready to go. There's like big smart pots that they use for an outdoor before. So I'm even gonna you know probably throw some out this year just to. Uh, just to flower some out, you know, I know that they'll, they'll just go into flower pretty much immediately, but I'm going to grow some outside just cause I can. <laughs> and, uh, so it's, uh, it's going to be fun. Super excited. Awesome. Well, what are, what's going on with you, Tara? Well, I got a mail next to me that's going out. <laughs> you got a big ass plant there. I have a big freaking mail. Look at this thing. It's huge. Look at this. It's a huge trait. <laughs> it's just outside showing, huh? Uh yeah, so um it was supposed to be a female and it's a male. So I dug it up. Uh -huh. I had it, it wasn't a three by three. Uh, I have the big three by threes. Uh, with my no-till, this will be my second year in no-till bits. And so this ended up being a male. So I dug it up and it's in a pot right now. And I took some clones of it and 
uh, Josh from Dutch Blooms wants uh, wants a cut of it because he really likes he thought he likes to try the hog maybe breed it with something. So uh, so I'm saving. I got some clones over here for him, and I took some other clones here. I'm just playing around with my new cloner. I just put them in yesterday, so I'm gonna check them in a week and see what I got. And um, so in place of this one, I think I'm gonna move the Jamaica one that I have with the dark stem. I think that's the one I'm gonna move up in its place. And uh, yeah, so that's what I got going on. That's about it. Cool. What about you, Roger? Well, I'm real. I, I think I, it's not too much premature, but I'm I'm trying to work out the schedule for this weekend. Um, I've uh, I'm going to get to go and start the first uh, the look see and take notes and to develop a a, a hemp farm. And um, I got a, a friend of mine. A big shout out to Ryan for asking me and being a fan of the show and a fan of the organic conference. And uh, Josh's and Layton's organic conference uh, that he went up to Maine, and um, so we we were talking, uh, you know, half the day today because he just built a new room for indoor nursery and and to do some indoor growing. But he's got several, um, you know, I think two or three hundred acres, and of course they're going to start small, but building some hugel beds. And so I, I think I'm real excited because I'm going to get to go out to the farm this weekend and uh for the first time and then we're going to start figuring out you know how to break it up and do different aspects of uh because of different kind of growth just kind of like similar to what you're doing steve out there where you're going to have a eventually there's going to be some greenhouse but right now they haven't got that infrastructure so they're going to start with the because uh, we got a much longer grow season here uh, you can pretty much do two complete outdoor grows here a year uh just like you can tomatoes or something and uh I'm really looking forward to that. So I'm real excited. Finally, I'm not, not you know, well, it's, can, ha, you know, hemp is cannabis, but, uh, you know, it's not a get high cannabis, but it's good, like uh, like Colin said, getting to go do something that's going to be really good for people and, and, and you know, finally being able to um, move out of just doing produce and into the industry. It's, I'm just excited, very excited. I can't wait. Now, to be able to go out there and have parts, to have, get into being part part of the designing team and all that i think that's what got me most you know because then when it's done it'll be something that you know we came up with you know through the because of what we've learned with our network and uh, and just the fact that uh, we you know in uh, shifting from hydroponics to doing uh oh i get to well the indoor room is going to be a dual root zone so i'm going to get to build my first dual root zone uh with with ryan out there and i'm really looking forward to this. it's gonna be a lot of fun we'll take some videos and pictures for all of you guys and you can tell me what i'm doing wrong <laughs> hey i love doing that oh yeah 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 <laughs> well I'm, I'm glad things have finally settled down when you were talking a while ago i was saying you know when i first met you you were having a baby and then basically you've been ranting about that neighbor ever since so yeah i'm glad you're getting to move and get that headache up I'm so happy for you that you're finally going to get to go back and have your outdoor grows going. Cause I mean, for some reason, I mean, cause part of it is we, you know, since, I mean, you got a lot of pictures, but since, since uh, the last two, two, two and a half years that I've been working with you guys on the show, I've never got to see you do anything outdoors cause of your neighbor. So I'm really looking forward yeah. to getting to expand yourself again. That's going to be great. man. 
Yeah, so some of these, like, you know, a lot of these are, that I'm going through here, these are a lot of the indoor ones that I, you know, they're all indoor ever since then. So, you know, there's, there's quite a few of those. But the, the last outdoor, there's some of the pictures in here. Yeah. And, and they're just, you know, big, big, great plants. And so I'm excited to to pick that up again because I'd really just just gotten started with it. And, I, you know, I feel like I've, I've learned a lot more that I'm going to be able to apply and, and get even better outdoor, which I already feel like was, you know, was, was really good. And so and then to combine that with the with the light depth also, I feel like is, um, you know, just going to kind of be able to, you know, really give it a shot at bringing it all together. So it, it's going to be great. I'm excited. Yeah, and I still don't ever get to grow outdoors. So you guys are so lucky and. I can't believe everything's coming up already. Like Chris's, Chris's class is coming up in a couple of weeks. You got the, you know, you got that Indo Expo thing going on. I, it bums me out so much to be stuck over here when you guys are going to do that stuff. You know, but but it's changing. So uh, a lot largely yeah. involved to, to what you guys have been doing and all the all you know what uh uh oh, shoot I can't think of his name. Um, Steve's really good buddy. Anyway, you know, the, the founders and the, and the pioneers in the cannabis industry that, you know, that fought and fought and fought and to get medical marijuana and or medical cannabis now, I think we we say. And uh, like Dennis, is that who you're talking about? Yeah, Dennis Perone. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Thanks to yeah. Dennis and people like that. And now it's, it, we're actually seeing it happen in our lifetime. Two things I wanted to see in my lifetime. I wanted to be able to legally grow weed whenever I wanted to and make my own medicine. And I wanted to be able to look at my friends and when I was talking to them on the telephone. And here we are. So. That's awesome. Yeah, like spaceship. I mean, I, I got to be a kid in the 60s when you see it, saw it in a movie, you know, but I actually lived long enough somehow to, to make it till the technology got here. You know? cool. <laughs> That's me, Steve. That's pretty much it. Same old other than that. That's a uh, short movie list, but I'm glad you got it all crossed off there. Yeah, it's one of those things. There you go. Um, other than that, I just got a bunch of peppers that are doing great. My tomatoes are on hold because it's kind of it's too hot, so they're kind of just sitting there. But uh, my peppers have been going nuts. I've had I got a oh wait I got a um let's see yeah I got this I got this pot here this five gallon pot and it's loaded with hot banana peppers and and bell peppers and stuff like that from my organic and natural farming garden that we started this year pretty nice you know really i'll tell you what i missed i missed growing my own peppers and stuff and having fresh produce to, to cook with and all man i tell you you know got some nice nice stuff yeah that's me yeah i've been uh familiarizing myself with native predator insects and uh introducing beneficial bugs we got a border of those in this week release those so um, that was really fun learned what wheel bugs are they're a, a natural assassin bug as soon as i saw it i recognized it was an assassin bug and was like oh definitely don't want to pick him up but uh definitely is a good guy but they're huge man they're enormous they they're about the size of your thumb i mean they're they're massive insects but they're good for killing grasshoppers and caterpillars and moths that feed on your stuff and giant beetles you have these things that are like super-sized japanese beetles and uh 
those uh, those wheel bugs seem to really love to feed on those so uh, we are those guys are welcome we just avoid them um, they can they can leave welts for months if you get bit so you don't want to get bit by those guys but they uh, absolutely are a cool one if you haven't looked them up yet check them out they're called a wheel bug especially if you're going you know anywhere east of the rockies is uh, an insect that you definitely i never saw growing in california for sure um that's been interesting and then just getting everything buttoned up uh, the nursery is almost getting close to being done um that's been going if you've seen the pictures of that you can uh you know i've been posting those on instagram uh the main greenhouse is getting close the fish house is getting close to being done so everything's really coming together just waiting on the electrical getting put in the the roof getting finished off and uh you know we're getting the plumbing plumbing in and getting the beds put put in and uh yeah so i think we're about you know week and a half two weeks away from from getting that done minus the sump house however long it takes to, to get finished buttoned up i take a, a few more days after that but uh, it's been a lot of fun and uh yeah i'm looking forward to to grinding out a bunch of plants we got a bunch of moms ready to go a whole bunch of great genetics and um yeah just really excited especially this cherry sue we have a super bomb ass cherry sue cut that's just looking fire so really looking forward to those but yeah let's have it we'll have more uh more updates on the on my instagram uh going forward and uh yeah just just working man it's been really beat and uh yeah. <laughs> coming home and blacking out sorry about tuesday I had a bunch of technical problems um kind of a janky internet connection um in the process of moving from one spot to another so i'm in, in a temporary spot so um and then it'll be down at the grow so that'll be a lot of fun or not at the grow but we'll be near the grow anyways uh going forward so we'll be doing we'll uh, have the studio all set up in the nursery and everything and uh do some more live streams in the nursery um at the new nursery that'll be a lot of fun and uh yeah be be really really cool to finally get a little more settled we'll have a much better internet connection over there and uh we'll be able to do some high hd streaming again and uh we'll have a lot more a lot more video updates so yeah that'll be a lot of fun because you never really had when you were out in california you didn't really have a, a cannabis grow you could share like that and i'm i'm watching you build it on you know i catch on instagram and on facebook and it's gonna be i can't wait to see all the plants in there you know because it, it just it's gonna go by so fast and all of a sudden they'll be crazy in there but uh yeah uh, that's pretty neat yeah i'm really looking forward to it so <laughs> I love that. And Tuesday, I got to tell you, Tuesday, I'm kind of glad we didn't have a show. I, I was wore out and I had fallen asleep and I got up and I saw I saw the podcast link and I clicked on it and I sat here for a while and I never did hear anything from you. And I went and laid down and passed back out and went to sleep. So and I got up and it looked like Tara had dropped by and left. And, uh, you know, just like your 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 avatar was still up there in the middle of the screen. You know, like it 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 been there, but the the podcast was open, but never on air. You know, it was kind of crazy. Um, I had problems with like there was like three sessions open at once, and it was just wigging out. We're gonna have to let me see. This might be the last episode before. We, no, 
next Tuesday will be the last episode before we have to reconfigure uh, this whole thing and, and figure out a new way to do it um, because they're changing the way that it's hosted. So that's going to yeah, be. I can't believe they're doing that. Yeah, that kind of came on quick, didn't it? I mean, yep. uh, well, they've been talking about it for a long time. They just oh, yeah. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, it's going to be something because, yeah, it's going to good home for us. Had a lot of fun here. We'll be doing the show and everything. We just got to figure out. I just have some technical stuff to work out. That's all. But it wouldn't be the first time they screwed it up before. I remember when we had to use OBS for a while when they had screwed it up the first time. So it's not a big deal. Um, some people are suggesting Zoom. We'll, we'll figure it out. Um, Alrighty. Well, um, why don't you tell everybody how to find you, Marty? Oh, so you can find me, uh, I'm Marty Waddell on uh, Facebook. You can find me on um, Aquaponic Cannabis Growers Group. Uh, you can hit us up on there. Steve and I are admins. We've got thousands of users now, which is awesome. You get to see lots of different people's builds and stuff, which is great. <clears throat> um, so uh, definitely come check us out there. I'm uh, AP Meds on Instagram, on YouTube. Yeah, I'm certain that someday soon I will be able to post to those things again. I've been so busy. I haven't, I haven't posted any, any content really of anything. Um, so I'll, I'll be back to doing that here with, within a couple of weeks now, which is going to be great. Uh, but you can find me on uh, Patreon at AP Meds. And yeah, hit me up. Thanks, guys. What about you, Roger? Uh, you can find Roger Latewood at Instagram or Facebook. And I want to thank all my new followers. I must be some people from the show because um, I, I put it out there and I had a few new followers this week. Uh, getting ready to start putting some content on Instagram. I've been taking pictures of, uh, I kind of skipped over this, but I've been taking pictures of uh, my nice genetics. Uh, shout out to Malik Spider, all six of his. I only did two of each one because I didn't want to get overcrowded. So I didn't go ape shit and, and, and try to do where I'm really going to pick out a lot for breeding as much as I just wanted to try it out and see what everything was. So I got, I got the three strains that Malik sent me and Wendy's uh, tubby custard times mango mountain. Holy crap. I don't know if you're listening out there, Wendy, but those suckers are crazy. You can tell the, the difference in the root zone uh, when, because you know, she's doing natural farming. And, and, and stuff like that and and just the root zone i've never seen a root zone come out the bottom of a rockwell cube like that all feathery and really dense all kinds of freaking roots and everything and they grow they're growing i think the stem they're like two weeks old and the stem's like an eighth of an inch or something thick and hard i mean it's these are some really really all of the malik's are the same way it took a little longer for them to catch up because i didn't totally water in everything when i transplanted them into my six inch pots and uh, anyway, I, I'm getting off track. I'm sorry I forgot to talk about that earlier. But a shout out to Wendy and and uh, uh, thanks Steve for handing me some of uh, Melty Head's uh, uh, Citrix, uh, Critical Berry, and Kaya. And Dad Gummit, I talked to Josh today and I forgot to ask him what that strain was that Kaya gave us at the at the Regenerative Organic Cannabis Conference. But other than that, you find me Latewood at ILoveGrowingMarijuana.com and we're kicking butt and have a great forum over there. If you want to have some uh, grow, do some grow journals or anything like that, you're welcome to come and join us and we'll help you out if you need help or we'll let you teach people either way. Cool. And what about you, Tara? 
You can find me at Terry Live on YouTube and on Instagram. And I do lives. So make sure you subscribe and hit that bell. <laughs> yeah, I hopped on one recently. Yes, you did. I throw the invite out to all kinds of people. So who knows who I'm going to have. Potens on there. Dutch Bloom stopped by there. I've had Josh on there from Dragonfly Earth Medicine. So you never know who you're going to get on there. I have uh, another Australian guy that's been hanging out with us lately. And he's been uh, doing some uh, filming of some hip information that we're in Australia. So, yeah, that's what we got going on. Cool. And uh, you can find me at Potent Products on YouTube, SoundCloud, Spotify, iHeartRadio, all the different Android podcasts, all the different places. And um, we do show normally do a show live every Tuesday and Thursday on the Potent Products YouTube channel. Sometimes we have technical problems and uh, and or uh, you know delay the show or whatever um, because of different events. But normally we're on every Tuesday or Thursday. Uh, thanks a lot for wa listening and or watching and uh, apologize again for Tuesday. We just had a bunch of a whole slew of issues on my end on the connection part of it. And um, yeah, we'll catch you guys again next Tuesday. Cheers. <laughs>